Hey guys, I'm Maddie, and here's the latest episode of PB with Jays. What's up, everybody? Welcome to this week's edition of Physiology of the Brain with Jacob and Joseph, otherwise known as PB with Jays. And fun fact. Wait. Oh, we're back to fun facts. Oh, well, this wasn't my actual fun fact. Oh, okay. There's just a phrase that popped into my head. But we were in New Orleans <laughs> last week. So it's not really. We're still in New Orleans. It's true. I forgot that we. Well, yeah. you, you did. I it. did. But yeah. But now you can break the news. We're back in New Orleans. What? <laughs> Surprise. But yeah, we're here. We, uh, we are finished with RA training now. I know last week I gave you guys the update. That it was very long and arduous, but we've made it to the end. Yep, now all our kids are moved in and been here a couple days now. Yeah. Lots of stuff going on. School starts tomorrow. That's so hard to believe. But it's pretty exciting. I reckon last year at Tulane. Crazy, man. It felt like just yesterday. We were these young freshmen going to welcome to the wave in Riley Rocks. <laughs> It really does, especially because I'm in the same dorm this year that I was when I was a freshman. It's all full circle. Yep. Feels exactly the same. Just <laughs> walking in, same exact looking room. <laughs> oh, man. All right, so what's your real fun fact for the week? Huh. This might be one of our most up-to-date episodes. It probably, yeah. We are, probably. <laughs> we are recording. It is 5.17 p.m. New Orleans. Uh, and this will be posted tomorrow morning. <laughs> yeah, so, in like 12 hours. So this is the most, up, like, yeah, everything else has been recorded in advance for the most part. And some of it, like, very in advance. And some of <laughs> it, like, somewhat in advance. So this is exciting. Yeah, definitely. So, I don't know, what else has been going on? Well. Well, you played basketball today, right? I did. I did. Getting back on the swing of that. Yep. I think I used this phrase earlier, but I like it a lot. I have I've experienced spurts of mediocrity, <laughs> and that's a good thing because everything else is just horrible. Because <laughs> I've I've played once all summer, and that was with you when we played some random guys at Rice two on two. Yeah. This is the first time I played five on five since last spring. That's a long time. But, but it was good. Yeah. I'm out of shape just just a, a lot, but. <laughs> I want to come play one of these days. I haven't played in a while either. Like, I actually played. But, anyway, so, what we got on tap for the day? Today, we will be talking about Tourette Syndrome. That's right, which also I found in one of the, like, scientific manuscripts, the more detailed name of Tourette Syndrome, which I don't actually know how to pronounce. I should have looked it up. I forgot. But it's, I think it's French, and I believe it's, Gilet de la Tourette Syndrome. Cool. I'm just going to call it Tourette Syndrome. <laughs> that works with me. Sometimes they call it GTS in that, uh, in that article. But, yeah, I don't know if that's actually how it's pronounced. But that is, that's what we're doing today, Tourette Syndrome. Nice. Well, the question comes, what is Tourette Syndrome? And I'm not going to let you answer because this is the one of the things that I can actually answer. It's your go-to. So I'm, I'm going I'm, <laughs> I'm to take this one. Alright, so Tourette Syndrome is a neurological disorder characterized by repetitive, stereotyped, involuntarily involuntary movements and vocalizations called tics. 
Yeah, so the the big thing with Tourette is always the tics. I think that's the like the hallmark diagnostic tool is the tics. And they come in a lot of different forms, and we'll kind of dive into that a little bit. But yeah, and this is kind of an interesting topic because it's one that a lot of people are at least vaguely familiar with. But I think that a lot of people don't really know about. I don't know. Does that – do you kind of get that impression too? Yeah, definitely. I mean when I first – uh, saw that we were going to be doing Tourette syndrome, um, I was like, hmm, I feel like that's familiar, and I've heard it before, and so I thought back, and I've heard people mention it when people would, like, yell curse words. Yeah. Uh, and so I was like, okay, I guess that has something to do with it, like, involuntarily yelling, uh, but it's not that, well, like, that can be it can part be, of it, yeah. but that's not, like, the the meat of it, I right. guess. By and like, I think it was 10%, um, is the estimate, 10% or fewer of cases actually involve yelling of some sort of profanity, which is, uh, coprobalia, I believe that's how it's pronounced. Coprolalia? Coprolalia, yeah, Lalia? that's it. Okay. Uh, I think some people also say coprolalia. Man, I can't do this. <laughs> coprolalia. So I guess, I think, uh, the some of the videos I was watching were from, um, like British videos, so they pronounce it slightly different. But yeah, coprolalia is when they shout curse words is, is the tick but that's like 10 percent or fewer of cases so it's pretty rare mm -hmm. um which is interesting because like that's the only thing i think that people in the public generally think about they don't think about shoulder movements or facial expressions or things like that which are much much more typical of a tourette diagnosis yeah and a lot of these things just seem like they're kind of normal like throat clearing um, sniffing, eye blinking, just little shrugging type movements, right? Like, yeah, they're like normal actions that are that are done repetitively and kind of suddenly or unexpectedly oftentimes. Mm -hmm. Did you get a chance to watch any of the videos? You gotta stop asking me if I like read and watch them. <laughs> I don't think I've said yes to any of those yet. You gotta check <laughs> with me before we start recording. Either you'll eventually watch one. Or this is just going to be a thing that we do that I'm going to ask you every week just for the sake of asking. Yeah, I haven't. I've stopped reading through every single one of the links you have because in the past, 90% of them were like <laughs> academic articles. And I would read the introductory paragraph and know far less than half of the words used. So I've just, <laughs> I've been going for the simple stuff I can find myself. Oh, man. Well, anyway. If you get a chance, I would definitely say look up some videos on Tourette syndrome or coprolalia. I'm gonna struggle with that, <laughs> man. Um, anyway, because I think it's I think it's helpful to understand what differentiates it between, like you said, normal things that that we see every day of eye blinking, shoulder shrugging, um, clearing their throat. Like those are things that everyone does, so we see those. Uh, so distinguishing what's sort of, I guess, normal or pathological in the case of Tourette is is much more easily done through video than description. But yeah, anyway, that's helpful if you get a chance. So if you send me the link, I'll I'll watch. <laughs> I will. I'll let you know. I'll be sure to ask him next week for whatever next week's topic is. Okay. <laughs> All right. So what else we know about Tourette syndrome? All right, so typically it begins at a younger age, right? Yep. Um, so like five to seven-ish, kind of that 
area, maybe yeah. a little older as well. Um, and then as you, as those with uh, syndrome get older, uh, in a lot of cases, it tends to kind of not be as prevalent uh, or not affect them quite as much, right? Yeah, and one one sort of theory that I read on the more psychological realm exploring Tourette syndrome is about sort of how development works, and you start to develop motor capabilities and advanced communication capabilities around that age, that five to seven range, but you haven't really been exposed to a lot of social context at that point. So the more exposure you get, the more you sort of learn how people typically talk, and it sort of molds your own actions and behaviors and in time sort of, I guess, normalizes or um, erases almost the, the tics that um, that popped up as a kid. But that's sort of a, like a psychological theory. I don't think that's been explored very well neurologically, but it makes sense, I guess, developmentally to me. Okay. Yeah, I could, I could kind of follow that. Um, so it, at least it's simple enough. Uh, your explanation is simple enough for me to kind of right. to follow along. So I'm going for it. But yeah, it makes sense developmentally to me. But yeah, uh, I know. It, so there's varying numbers as to how frequent and or prevalent Tourette syndrome is in the U.S. The one I saw the most was one percent is the estimate of of how many people experience Tourette syndrome. Some would say up to four percent is kind of the high range in the adolescent age, but most of what I saw was right around that one percent estimation. So to give you guys an idea of how common it is. Okay, that sounds about pretty pretty close to what the uh, stuff that I was reading. Um, although some of it said a little less than that. It really? Said 0.6 percent. Um, well, this was 0.6 percent of of kids between the ages of five and seventeen. Okay. Uh, have it. So I guess that's probably a little bit different than, than the statistic you were talking that about. That makes but sense. It, but it kind of follows in the similar. Range yeah, seems like it's in line overall. Another thing I thought interesting that was interesting were the the comorbid effects, and comorbid just refers to things, syndromes, disorders, um, what have you that accompany a particular disorder. So in this case, it's a syndrome, Tourette syndrome, and there are some other neuropsychological um, disorders that accompany it commonly. The two biggest one um, being OCD and ADHD. That's kind of interesting, too. They're not really sure why that happens, but there are some theories, and we'll get into a little bit of that later. But, um, but yeah, that's, those are kind of interesting to me, I think. Yeah, that is interesting. Um, and just to kind of uh, flesh that out a little bit, can you give us maybe a brief description of what ADHD is and what OCD is? Yeah, let's see. So ADHD is attention... Attention Deficit uh, Hyperactivity Disorder, and OCD is Obsessive Compulsive Disorder. OCD is a tough one for me, having kind of studied it and learned more about what OCD actually is, because people throw that term around a lot. That's true, yeah. And man, that kind of sucks for people who actually have diagnosed OCD, because it's really debilitating, because uh, OCD has to do with your obsessions and your compulsions. And it can be either or both of those things. But if your your mind is obsessing over something, uh, it's hard to think about anything else. And then compulsivity is when you feel the need to perform an action. So a lot of OCD, especially the severe cases, are both of those things. Sort of an example being you, you think about 
I don't know, um, a picture on a wall obsessively and how it has to be aligned perfectly. And then your compulsivity would be your need to continually readjust it. And it's it's not just that you need things straight and ordered, as as people kind of joke about, but it's something that really inhibits you from from doing and living a normal life. So it, it makes it difficult to go out of the house because you, you can't not perform those actions or think those thoughts. So it's really hard. That's just one of my little pet peeves, uh, my soapboxes about people throwing out OCD all the time. But then uh, ADHD is another one that's kind of commonly talked about. I think it's misunderstood because it, a lot of times if a, a child, particularly a little boy, is kind of crazy at school, they'll be like, oh, get him tested for ADHD. Um, it's hard because it is seen a lot in young boys, especially. But uh, that's also like a, a difficult, um, it's, it's difficult to uh, pay attention, to focus on a particular task or subject matter. So um, it's a little more, it's, I don't know, it's better understood than OCD is, but still kind of stigmatized to a large degree. Okay, yeah, anyway. that's that's helpful because I remember when I was like in middle school, my people would make comments because I, I tended to like things very particular, mm -hmm. um, and they would make comments about OCD with me. Um, so I didn't really think anything about it, but, yeah. but kind of hearing people's stories and heard particularly about, um, issues with germs and things like that. Yeah. Um, so it'll get, uh, caught in a thought spiral of, of like dangerous germs and the need to fix that. Yeah. And then, um, That's a really good description of dangerous spiral and thought spiral. Yeah. And then ADHD that also kind of thrown around in middle school, not for me particularly, but I, I did hear it. Um, so yeah. That is helpful to kind of get a little bit clearer picture of that as we move on, but I, I reckon we better get back to Tourette's syndrome. Let's do it. All right. Well, uh, where should we where should we jump in? Yeah. So I don't know. I think we kind of went over the the broad nuts and bolts, so to speak. So maybe jump into the science now. You think you're ready for it? As ready as I'm going to get. Let's do it, my friend. I absolutely loved researching this because. Two of my favorite types of neurons are heavily implied with Tourette syndrome. And yes, I have favorite types of neurons. <laughs> which which of those neurons do you speak? Although I should probably more specifically say types of brain cells, because a lot of times people would differentiate glial cells and neurons. But anyway, let's see. So interneurons are one that are on the list, and the other are glial cells. Jacob, do you remember what interneurons and glial cells are? Well, glial cells, easy peasy, Joe. Oh, yeah? They're the things that are kind of around the other things that support the things. <laughs> um, and when I say things, I mean glial cells, they're there to support the neurons, correct? Yeah. That okay. in, in broad terms, that is, as of now, what we know to be yeah. the primary function. Yeah, there is some stuff indicating that they're a little bit more important than just supporting, right? Yes, absolutely. Um, That's why I love them so much. But yeah, they kind of keep everything looking okay in that environment, keep, get out the bad, keep in the good, that kind of thing. Yep. Cool. Spot on. Yeah. And then interneurons, which I feel like you may struggle with a little bit more. And for interneurons, let's see. Um, I'm first, curious what you're going to go with here. The first thing that comes to mind is swimming, right? You can swim or go down a creek in an intertube. And intertube, the inter means... That you are entering a lake with it, or so I have no idea. <laughs> I know that's not correct. No, 
I and I tried to form a way where that metaphor would make more sense, but it was difficult to do. <laughs> I don't think it was going anywhere at any point. Uh, no, interneurons are essentially neurons that are between neurons. Inter, kind of meaning between. So oh, okay. You kind of guess. Guess that's like at the core what they are. But essentially, what they what they do is regulate brain synaptic activity. So, um, it's synaptic. Oh. <laughs> So interneurons are sort of regulatory neurons, broadly defined. So broadly defined, we have glial cells, supportive cells, interneurons, regulatory cells. So in order to jump into some of that inhibitory and supportive science, uh, we'll first kind of talk about the genetics, which I think we talk about every week, which I don't know. Uh, some things that we talk about are, are worth learning, I guess. Like Jacob has learned what glial cells are, which is pretty cool. And the inner two, inner, inner neurons. Inner neurons. He's working on that one. Um, but, like, learning the, the specific names of genes is not particularly useful. But I do think it's interesting. So, to let you know, the genes that are involved and implied with Tourette syndrome are the HDC gene, which is the histidine decarboxylase gene, the uh, contactin-associated protein-like 2, which is a really complicated string of letters, and then uh, neurolignin. And essentially, these, these work on uh, synapse maintenance between neurons, which is kind of circuits and networks, which is a lot to do with interneurons, like we talked about regulation and communication. And then the HDC converts histidine to histamine, which has implied roles in neurotransmission with this gene. But histamine is also interesting because of its role in immunology. Um, we'll kind of get into that. And so... I, I don't, didn't find anything that directly implies histamines involved, but I do find it interesting that this process is also involved, um, including the microglia process, which is inflammation. But anyway, we'll get into microglia. Those are some of the genes involved. And so what's more important and good to know is some of the anatomy that's involved. And then we'll get into our, our three, because we're always going to go with our trifold options. But So to start off on our anatomy... Um, it's kind of the same, not the same, but many of the same regions as Korea and Huntington's and Parkinson's. Which, Jacob, do you know what those regions are? The basal ganglia. Yes, sir. And the, uh, striatum, striatum? And the striatum. Yes, indeed. Uh, the striatum is the specific region. The basal ganglia is sort of a collection of neurons and nuclei, uh, um, a part of which is the striatum. But yeah, so it's this region that has a lot to do with muscle coordination and um, fine motor skills, has a lot of regulatory roles on thalamus cortex. Um, it's really interesting, and all of these are, are parts of this anatomical region and observations. So the big one to kind of look at and remember is this frontostriatal circuit dysfunction. And this is what I mentioned with the basal ganglia and the striatum and its connection to the cortex and the motor cortex and its connection with fine muscle movement. So that's kind of what we're looking at as the affected areas, which, like I mentioned, and it makes a lot of sense with uh, the crossover with Korea. Because, like, we talked about the episode 8 or is it 9? I think it was episode 9. Uh, the one Sean introduced <laughs> is... Um, oh, wait. We never introduced to introduce <laughs> this episode. We'll have to introduce the introducing at the end. Okay. We just got to remember to do that. <laughs> um, but yeah, anyway, 
So we talked about Korea, episode 9, which was sort of the inability to, to regulate that fine muscle movement also and resulted in kind of the jerky dancing, the involuntary dancing is a lot of what the descriptions are. So it's interesting to me that Tourette has a lot of the same circuitry and has an, uh, is involved with involuntary muscle movements as well. So it's cool how it all comes together. It's still all very mysterious in a lot of ways, but pretty fascinating. So with that, a little bit of genetics, a little bit of anatomy, we'll jump into our three-pronged approach to <laughs> describing pathology in science. So we're going to start with uh, interneurons because I think interneurons are awesome. Um, so interneurons, and like I mentioned, the inhibitory control. So what do interneurons do, Jacob? You want to run it down one more time? So they're the regulators, correct? They are the regulators, yes. And they kind of deal with the synaptic activity going on uh, between other neurons, right? Yeah, that's exactly what they do. And they're seen all throughout the brain. And we, I think the one that I've heard of and studied the most are present in retinal cells because it's kind of a simple circuit that people study a lot. So we understand the concept of how interneurons work. But in a lot of regions, we don't understand the specificities of that, which is cool. That's why I really like them. I think I'm interested in these the mysterious components of neuroscience. But anyway, I found a pretty good description on one of those articles I was reading that says, uh, these cells keep neuronal timing, synchronicity, and activity by generating inhibitory inputs over other neurons. I couldn't really come up with a, a great analogy for this, but I wrote down, like, editing a movie. In the sense that when you shoot a film, you have a ton of raw footage and essentially what would be for the neuron a lot of raw activity. Uh, but there's only one final cut of a movie, right? And they have to cut out a lot of the scenes and the footage and they have to edit a lot of things. That's kind of what interneurons do is the sort of, I don't know, cutting down of the excess so that your brain can function properly. You know it's a better analogy? I am ready for it, because I need better analogies. It's really not that much better. A podcast. <laughs> we edited a well, not as much as a movie. That's true. Um, <laughs> but there's a little bit of editing that we do here. Yeah. I mean, the so in that sense, the inner neurons are kind of, what, is that an editor, I guess? That's like a paper, though, right? Editor. Producer. Producer. <laughs> See, I'm, I just know nothing. Goodness. They're Editors, like producers. Scaffolding. <laughs> scaffolding. Man. It's only 10 episodes in and I have all these. Uh, yeah, they're like the producer of the brain. They make sure that things look the way they're supposed to look, essentially, with the connections and the neurons activity. So what we know, like I mentioned before, a lot of what we studied with interneurons are retinal cells. What we do know also, though, is that there is extensive interneuron innervation, which just means that there are a lot of interneurons connecting to uh, pyramidal neurons, which are kind of your standard neuron that's present in cortical striatal tracts. And that's what I mentioned earlier, the cortical striatal tracts, which is that connection between your cortex, so controlling your muscles, and the striatum, part of the basal ganglia, that modulates that muscle movement. So what what's happening in Tourette syndrome? What do we think is going on? Great question. Um, at, at its basic concept, it's sort of the idea that a loss or disactivation of inner neurons in these systems, particularly that cortical striatal system, results in increased activity. 
Um, what I think is also interesting in this is the sort of correlation with autism that we see. This is one of the leading theories of autism as well, is some sort of, I don't know, dysregulation of the inner neuron tract. This is uh, kind of the idea of why we see epilepsy in autism, is, is the connection with this theory, is that if you're, you don't have your inner neurons to produce the movie, you're just going to get too much film. If you don't have your inner neurons to cut down on that activity, you're going to get too much activity, and that's what epilepsy is. And we see a lot of patients with autism who have epilepsy also. So, inner neurons, kind of a big mystery, but there seems to be a lot of promise there that something is, is going on with those inner neurons. Um, I also think I probably miscounted when I said the three-pronged three approach. The first prong was the anatomy, and we already did that. And then the second prong was the inner neurons. Now we've done that. Now the third prong are the microglia. That sounds like a correct counting. We're good. I learned how to count now. Yeah. Um, but this was my absolute favorite part of, of reading over Tourette syndrome. Because glial cells, I think I mentioned it in maybe the second or third episode. I would love to study glial cells as a career path. Like They are amazing. And I think we're just going to continue to discover more and more about what glial cells do. And as we discover those, there's going to be more and more medical applications research implications. I think it's awesome and I'm really excited. The specific type of glial cell in Tourette's syndrome is microglial cells. Jacob, do you happen to remember what specific role microglia hold in the brain? I would venture a guess and say that they are the resident immunity? <laughs> Immune... Oh, they're, they are, Jacob. How did you guess that? <laughs> They're the resident immune cells of the brain and really the, the central nervous system. So microglia, um, immune cells, what does all this mean? Well, you know what immunity is, Jacob? Besides a legal term, since you are studying <laughs> law. <laughs> well, when you think in medical sense, you what I come to first think about is uh, immunizations. Yeah. So, I guess those are introductions of, of smaller pieces of what, um, I guess, diseases or other things, so that your body can kind of defend itself against them, um, be prepared for that. That is spot on. Nice. That's actually a really good description. Yeah, so immunity is essentially your body's ability to defend itself against foreign invaders. So, you mentioned, I don't know, we'd say small particles of things, so viruses, uh, bacteria. Um, even like spores, so fungi and stuff like that. Basically, any sort of infection, your body has to fight it. And it does so through its immune system. So that's what immunity is. So when you talk about immunity in the brain, the cells that are most responsible for that are microglia. So Jacob, I think that your next question, and mine as well, would probably be, what on earth do microglia and immunity have to do with Tourette's syndrome? Yeah, that's a good question. I'll, yeah. <laughs> um, it's, it's a great question. That's not entirely understood right now. As one article put it very astutely, evidence of microglial abnormalities specifically is much more limited. Basically, science jargon for we don't really know what microglia are doing because <laughs> the <laughs> evidence is limited. Um, they're finding out a lot, and they're, they're seeing that microglia are almost assuredly involved. 
and they mention a few of the involvements that they think. So failures in neuroprotection, a lack of support for neuronal survival, abnormalities in synaptic pruning. So one thing that microglia can do are engulf synapses. So um, that's a part of pruning process. Do you know what pruning is? Right, we should probably hit on that one. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> uh, pruning is, is the, I guess, do you prune hedges? Is that a thing? That's true, yeah. Yes. Not completely culturally inept. Uh, so it's like pruning a hedge to make it kind of neat and put together how it's supposed to be. Same thing with synapses. It happens a lot as a child. Uh, anyway, and then also overactive inflammatory response. So if it's kind of a military analogy. My boy Robert Sapolsky used this in one of his books, um, that if your immune system is too active, it's almost like having an overactive military, and then you start um, having – you kill your own soldiers. What is that called? Friendly fire? Friendly fire. Man, I'm oh, so bad. I, I learned that from video games back in middle <laughs> school. Um, anyway, he likened it to friendly fire, that if you're too active, the chances of friendly fire are higher. So anyway, uh, with microglia, if it's too active, you could, you could have and suffer from cell death in your brain. But all of these things are pretty broad. Um, there were two studies specifically that were mentioned that I found that had some other conclusions uh, that talked about an increased microglial population in the striatum. Again, that striatum is heavily involved. What does it mean if there are more microglia there? We don't really know. We're trying to find that out next. And then another one, this one was kind of cool, showed bilateral caudate nuclei microglial activation. This just means both sides of your brain and the caudate nuclei, which is also part of the basal ganglia, having increased microglia activation. Um, so in these specific regions, we found more inflammatory uh, activation. But again, it doesn't really explain why these are happening in the first place or how it could eventually lead to Tourette syndrome. So I don't know. Perhaps the cell death that's occurring are inner neurons. That could be maybe a theory that I'm forming right here uh, as we speak. It makes sense, but like I said, lots of, of research has to go into that, sort of figure out what's actually going on. But anyway, microglia, super exciting, super mysterious, and I think that's why I really like them. <laughs> but that's all I got for the, the science portion of things. I don't know if you got anything else to add. I don't have anything to add, but uh, a recap is usually in order, right? That's that's what I can attempt to do. I do indeed think a recap is in order, my friend. So uh, we do have three prongs this week. The first prong was a bunch of words that I didn't know because, <laughs> yeah, that was that, that was all about genetic abnorm abnormalities. Well, I think that was our baseline, but our first real prong was the anatomy. Oh, see, now I'm all confused. I know. I need to do better about differentiating my prongs. <laughs> All right, well, either way, I didn't grasp that one very well. Um, but I think I have a little bit of a hold on prongs number two and three. Okay, that works. Basal ganglia, that's prong one. Just know that. Okay. It, it comes up in a lot of the diseases, like I mentioned, Korea, Huntington's, Parkinson's. Basal ganglia is super important for motion and movement. All right, prong two. Prong two, interneurons, the intertubes. Not a good <laughs> analogy, but that's how I'm going to remember them from now on. Hey, if it helps you remember, it works with me. So they are the regulators and producers in terms of making a film or something like that. Yeah. Um, they help get everything running to put together a final product. Um, and when there are issues there, it can cause issues with, um, I guess, the basal ganglia, right? Yeah. Yeah, specifically for like Tourette. And then I mentioned epilepsy for autism. Same idea. There's too much excitation. All right. 
And then we also have the glial cells, or microglia, yes. in this case specifically. Um, and some of the issues there, one is becoming overactive, yep. friendly fire. Because um, there's so much going on, they actually hurt themselves and somehow don't really understand that yet, yeah. do we? Um, yeah, they understand that perhaps they're killing cells, but how does that cell death lead to Tourette? Not sure yet. Cool. Did I miss anything? I think that that's pretty good. That's our three prongs. Basal ganglia, interneurons, microglia. And that's the the deep science, so to say, of Tourette syndrome. That's synaptic, man. That's very synaptic. Alright. Well, as usual, if you want to get in contact with us, check us out, uh, pbwithjays at gmail.com. If you want to just go check out our website or perhaps download some some uh, audio files on the source other than Apple Podcasts. You can also check that out at pbwithjays.com. Mention Apple Podcasts. We're out every Monday morning. And then uh, Facebook. Twitter is a thing, but we don't really – I mean, we don't even really do Facebook. <laughs> but <laughs> we're trying. We're really trying. And we forgot. you got to introduce Mad Dog. We have a new introducer for this wonderful podcast episode, the very one and only Mad Dog. Madison, Maddie, <laughs> Griffith. <laughs> Maddie is my girlfriend, and we were hanging out. She was reading a book in the rain, and I was like, hey, Sean did it a couple weeks ago. You should do it now. And she was like, what? And then eventually she did it. So it was really cool. She's our introducer for this episode, and my dad has one in. He'll probably be upset that Maddie skipped him, but we got <laughs> we to gotta put his in for next week. I got you, Pops. Yeah, this is exciting. I'm liking the new introduction stuff. I know. It's pretty fun. So like we said, send yours in. I will definitely put it on. It's kind of a good time. And yeah, that's all I got, man. All right. We'll uh, we'll speak at y'all next week. <laughs>